This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. The episodes in this feed were originally published on Crawlspace. Please use caution while listening and follow Crawlspace Podcast for more. Welcome back to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Feels good. Feels good to uh, be back in the saddle here in Wormtown. And uh, how are you today? I'm doing well, too. And, you know, we spoke with a good friend of ours, someone who is joining the Crawl Space Network, Lance. His name is Dr. Lee Meller. And he does a podcast called Murder Was the Case. Yep, great podcast. Really, really smart dude. Uh, he's a uh, he's a scholar, uh, a criminologist. He's also a country musician. I don't know if that is something that is that well known, but this is a regular Renaissance man. And he's from uh, the our wonderful neighbors up north, uh, the the Canadians. And uh, he knows his poutine, so he's got a lot going for him. And Lee is also an author, too, so check out his books. There are links in the show notes to his podcast and his books. And here it is, the interview with Dr. Lee Meller. And, of course, we had him on a few uh, months ago, too, and we got great reviews for that episode. So here he is. He's back, and he's joining the Crawl Space Network. So subscribe to his show, Murder Was the Case. And Lee also does something that's really fascinating. He has a series of lectures that he does in VR. That's virtual reality. And you can check that out. Just go to uh, Sansar Official. So if you go to their uh, their Twitter, it's at Sansar, S-A-N-S-A-R, Official. And he has a series of lectures on murder in VR incredibly cool he's in his costume it's sort of victorian he's got um like a cowboy uh like duster on and you can create your own character and you can have dr lee meller uh teach you about murder and all things criminology in a virtual world Welcome to Crawl Space. We are here with Lee Meller. Lee, how are you today? Well, I don't know what reality I'm in anymore, guys. The two are just kind of blurring. <laughs> I don't know. Are we here with Lee or virtually? Virtually. Dr. Murder is my virtual name. <laughs> Dr. Murder. Well, <laughs> well at, least yeah. you're, at least you're getting right to the point with that. And you're not, uh, for the most part, beating around the bush. Yeah. So w- what are you doing with those goggles? Okay, so I use these goggles. I'll take them off now. I think the, the gimmick has been achieved. Hold on a second. I can't see you. <laughs> Your eyeballs better not be fried out. Okay, they're good. You still yeah, have I'm starting to worry about my eyes, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I spent so much time in there. But yeah, so on October the 9th, I did the first ever murder lecture in virtual reality. So historic occasion. I'm in a platform called Sansar, which is like a second life without all the the sex stuff that they bring in. Like, I don't know if you know much about Wait, second what? life. I, Wait, I, second I, life has sex stuff? What? Apparently that's all it is. Oh. Or that's very close to all it is. And so when they went to do iteration, 
yeah, iteration uh, Sansar, which is the virtual reality one. They said, okay, we're going to put a few restraints on this, you know, argue that or not. But the point is Sansar is like second life with virtual reality. So I experienced that. I was totally blown away by it. And I decided that I was going to start teaching in virtual reality. So I'm doing six lectures, which are a bit of a test run. And then after that, I'm going to start moving towards having like a full university. Okay. Well, you have a uh, quite a, an eclectic group of individuals or characters that attend your lectures. Uh, one of the more notable ones, mm, I'm really torn between the, the angel or no, I'm gonna go with the duck sitting on a toilet. Now wait a second, you're talking about these people who are virtually attending this yes. lecture, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can send you guys some of those screenshots if you want to use them. But yeah, that's the cool thing is it's in a Victorian lecture hall. First of all, you know, I worked with a team to make that, and so it's a much cooler feeling classroom than going to one of these sort of modern polytechnic ones with like IKEA furniture and glass. It's like no, this is oak, man. You know, it's it's rich. <laughs> There's uh, many mysteries seeped into the wood here. But it's just got a cooler fear, uh, feeling. It's dark. Like outside the windows, you can hear horses who's <laughs> clip-clopping by every what? once in a while. Yeah. Okay, and that's and, you. Uh, that's Dr. Murder. Yeah, I teach in my Victorian threads, my uh, waistcoat and my pocket watch and my bowler hat. And <laughs> I instead of having a clicker, I have a pipe. So... You know, those slide clickers? Yep. But yeah, I, I just, because it's VR, it's magic, I need the same thing, but I just make it in the form of a pipe. So you'll see me standing there, like, sort of pontificating, and every once in a while I'll take a puff, and then I, <laughs> I need to switch the slides. I go, katink. I just poke the little side of it, oh. and uh, the slides switch. Oh, but you, okay. you won't be able to notice from the crowd, so it looks like the slides are just seamlessly switching i thought taking so, a puff was what moved the slide well i could i could radically make that happen right i could go but uh no not necessary okay. so yeah it's a lot of fun so after i speak with you guys i'm going into do lecture number four which is the famous mo and signature lecture that you guys saw at the asoc conference and that will be interesting because they keep getting a little bit more, more hardcore every time the lectures and I'm going to bring in the crime scene photos. So we'll see how people react. Oh boy. Do you think that this is where, uh, academia is heading as far as not just the, um, the lecture that you provide on murder, but just overall. Yeah. I mean, my goal is not to just be lecturing on criminology. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now I've just got six lectures, but I eventually want to make it into a, a course with, you know, various classes and such. I'll be teaching three myself, get in some other props, but I don't see why we can't also do history as well or something like philosophy or sociology, any of these uh, these types that don't require uh, something physical, right? Something tangible. Any, actually, you could probably teach most topics. And the cool thing is that we'll be able to do field trips. So let's say I'm teaching you guys about the Napoleonic Wars, rather than just telling you about the Battle of Waterloo, I could walk you into the Battle of Waterloo. You could mm -hmm. see where all the troops were set up. You could go see, you know, here's the Duke of Wellington. He's up on a hillside here with the British troops. Here's Napoleon down here. See how his men are in columns? Go ahead, walk among them. Do you want, who do you want to march with? 
right? Very cool. That's impressive. Who attends these um these lectures? And how would one want want to uh, be in your lecture? Right. So you just have to get like a high powered gaming PC. Unfortunately, it doesn't work on Mac. So we know we know a few people who we know a few people who know PCs. <laughs> love to do <laughs> some pig ears. Yeah, probably a lot of the people with the worst attention spans are the people with those hardware, unfortunately. But eventually, people, I think, will, will just have these PCs regularly. And then if you look at that, like, well, that's my one overhead for attending a university, and then it's all, like, really reasonably priced, then it makes sense, right? Yeah. Rather getting into, like, six figures worth of debt, you put down, like, two grand on a computer that you can also use for all these cool games and stuff. And then once you've got that going... Uh, you just go to sansar.com, S-A-N-S-A-R.com, and you can download it for free. And then you can just go in there, whether you're in virtual reality or not. And it's, I tell you guys, it's absolutely breathtaking. It's magical. You know, I've uh, had all kinds of experiences in there. Much realer friendships have formed in there than, say, on any sort of regular social media. I think it's the antidote to all of the toxicity of the social media that we use right now because just the way that we're talking right now uh to each other having a real conversation it's like that in sansar especially in vr and you get a feeling of really bonding with someone you know very cool yeah i mean just looking at uh everything that you have online the screenshots that you've posted and also you have some students do you call them students or do you call them i don't want to say the wrong thing yeah i don't I think I just call them the audience right now. Okay. Yes. When we move to the next stage, I'll call them students. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool to see the audience that you're, that you're growing and they're posting screenshots of being in your class and, uh, and you're posting and it, and you can get that community feeling from the whole thing. It's a really cool project that you got going on. Thank you. I've got to say the other day, we did not set this up. How surreal was this? Someone showed up in a John Lennon avatar. It looked exactly like him. He walked in with a guitar, doing the British accent and everything, okay? That person didn't know that I was about to devote a large chunk of the lecture to the assassination of John Lennon. This what? was It just happened to be like this? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I don't expect anyone to believe that, but that's the truth from what I'm telling you. I don't believe so, it. So how meta is that? You've got John Lennon watching Mark David Chapman talk about shooting John Lennon. And next thing you're going to tell me, Jason Voorhees would be standing next to him. <laughs> yeah, anything can happen. And next <laughs> next thing you're going to tell me, the uh, American Crime Fest is canceled. And uh, and I'm going to have some words yeah, for man, you. Yeah, that's a real bummer. Yeah, to- total bummer. And I uh, just wanted to bring it up here. Great segue. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. I really wanted to bring it up uh, in the beginning to just move past this uh, annoyance. But thank you very much for... Uh, for uh, you know, being willing to present at this uh, crime fest that we um, had worked so hard to schedule and build and everything. Yeah, it would have been really cool to have you there, and even you know, by the time November rolled around, maybe you could even show a little bit of this VR. Show you know, maybe show some some yeah. some footage of it. I mean, that would have been awesome. But you know, we yeah. had a lot of cool stuff planned. That is not the case, uh, Lee, but um. Yeah, our uh, our ex partners in this venture um, decided to pull the plug without our um, without our permission and really w- against our wishes. 
we were uh, actually willing to invest some money to keep it going out of our own pockets, and uh, they pulled the plug anyway. And so uh, it's been a real headache for us. Um, but we want to thank you for being willing to travel all the way over from the West Coast. You're going to be with uh, Uncle Cloyd, our buddy Uncle, Uncle Cloyd, yeah. and you were going to travel to Philadelphia. And you're going to travel with Celine Beth Calderon, who made the mm-hmm. Theodore documentary, docuseries. And mm-hmm. you're going to chill in Philadelphia, and then you're going to come over to Wildwood. You had this whole thing planned out. Sounded like a, you know, a few days worth of, you know, sort of working fun, fun working type, type, uh, you know, couple of days there for you. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to thank you for even going through the effort to consider doing something like that um, for this event. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be part of, like, the celebrations of joining your network, right? The yes. whole crawl space thing. And That's so right. I was like, you know, hey, I am uh, I believe in rituals and bonding. I think there's a strength to that. And so, yeah, I'll be there, of course. You guys are putting your efforts into making something great. I'm going to be there to support that. And that's the way our relationship will be. And unfortunately, I guess some people don't have the same degree of commitment and, and honor. And uh, you learn the hard way, I guess, not to work with those people. And I would say good luck to them if they yeah. think that they're going to get this up and going again. Uh, I certainly won't be going there to speak. I, we have nothing to do with that URL or the social pages for that crime fest. It got pretty ugly, actually, Lee. I, I, w- I don't want to talk about it too much more, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. I got really fired up about it, which tells me that I was really angry because I never get that fired up about this stuff. Yeah, there was a series of emails that went back and forth that the rest of us kept out of while Tim and the uh, the other member were going at it. I mean, they were they were going back and forth over legitimate, um, you know, group discussed concerns. So we would discuss on our end and then we would instead of having like five people emailing one person to make it seem like there was a, a, you know, like a ganging up mentality. Yeah. It was like all of the messages were essentially filtered through one email until Tim just couldn't take it anymore. And then he was off and running, which was sort of entertaining to read, but you know, very direct into the point. (laughs) I've actually worked with people like this myself and I've become very wary about who I go into business with for that reason. We, we're still not done venting, I feel like, Lee, and there, there's probably going to be some right. more um, venting that, that happens, maybe not today during this uh, interview, but um, certainly behind the scenes, maybe on our Patreon and maybe on uh, the air, airwaves with other uh, interviews. But, yeah, it's just it's still an annoyance. It is, but, hey, it's, it's awesome that uh, this is exactly why you um, – are a perfect fit for the Crawl Space Network, the yes. new growing Crawl Space <laughs> Network. On to brighter pastures. Welcome yeah. to the GD Crawl Space <laughs> Network. We are pumped to have you. Thank you very yeah. much. Murder was the case is joining the 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 steed. The uh, the rest of these these shows. The steed. <laughs> the steed. <laughs> the Crawl Space Network steed. Here we are. So, your roster. So welcome aboard. So what do you do yeah. on your show? Tell tell us what you do. Well, I'd say right now I mostly interview interesting people around the topic of murder and crime. So kind of like what you guys do, the Joe Rogan conversational format. But the MacGuffin is there's always murder or at least the potential of murder violence involved. So I've talked to a lot of true crime authors. I've talked to police officers. I've talked to criminals who did it. I've talked to people who were convicted of crimes who didn't do it. 
I've talked with jurors. I've spoken with, oh, geez, now, like, I'm starting to lose track, but you get the point. It's, oh, like filmmakers. So, like, we're talking about Celine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've talked to a few of them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, people on television, all just looking for interesting people constantly. I try and crank out about one a week. So, the latest one, I'm talking with an author, Vanessa Brown, about a series of murders that happened in London, Ontario between 1968 and 1970. London, Ontario, I don't think anyone has ever really even heard of uh, outside of Canada, maybe even inside Canada. It's amazing. You have all these sexual homicides happening in this period of time in a place where there's less than like 150,000 people. And it's just one after the other after the other. And so that's just one example of what we uh, do. You know, she comes on, she talks about the cases with me. So a lot of back and forth. Well, okay, which route would she have taken? Well, why is that? Well, why not this? You know, and then with the next guest that might be, I talked to the father of a, a homicide victim for episode 100, Rodney Stafford, his daughter, Tori, was murdered in 2009. That was a whole different type of podcast. Yes, it's us having a conversation, but you know, it was very much about letting him tell his side of the story and what he's facing with the criminal justice system and stewarding him through that and being able for him to talk about some of the most abhorrent things that happened to his little girl. And at the same time, uh, you know, con convey his message across and have neither of one of us fall off, so to speak, because it's difficult. Right. Yeah. So. It can be a very, at times it can be a very jokey podcast. At times it can be deadly serious. And then sometimes like when you're hanging out with Uncle Cloyd, it's like right in the middle. It's somehow you're talking about the most serious things that, I don't know, should be absolutely mortifying. And he is making you laugh your ass off about what's going on around them. Right. Uh, so, Uncle Cloyd. Yeah. <laughs> but I should say, guys, um, I'm trying to do more of these too. I started off by doing also what I call uh, academies. I've been in the dive bar part too long. That's the conversation. And those are where I speak about criminological concepts. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That was one of my questions is what is your desired outcome when you talk to these, um, these individuals, when you talk to the father of a, of a little girl that was murdered, are you more um, looking for a solution to that particular case or are you looking more for an educational um, in informative type presentation? I would say there's, there's three goals there. Yeah. One, the most obvious is to have an engaging podcast episode, right? Two, give this man a voice uh, obviously, he has some problems with the criminal justice system. He airs them. If you agree with him and look into it and you think it's a problem, well, I mean, that's something that I believe we should work to change. And three, it's also, look, we always are talking about things from the point of view of like, well, who is the killer or why did the killer do that? But look, anytime I can get a, a victim's family member on the podcast, I mean, they're just as involved in this as anyone and it they deserve to be heard you know uh, so yeah and i could probably think of another three reasons to me the value in it is pretty obvious yeah yeah 
And uh, so you mentioned um, some some crime and murder in Canada, and uh, I just want to mention that you've written a book called Cold North Killers, Canadian Serial Murder, and that's out there on Amazon. And so you, you talk about a lot of serial killers on there, and there's the book right there. And uh, I think the only one that I really know off the top of my head is The Monster of Miramichi, Alan Legere, because of our buddy Jordan Bonaparte. But that's the one you know. Yeah. The nighttime wow. podcast. Yeah. Okay. So you know more about him than probably almost everyone in Canada right now. Like he's forgotten. If you live in New Brunswick, you know him. Anyone else has <laughs> largely forgotten him. But no, I got a big chapter on him in the book. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. He's a fascinating case. That was the largest manhunt ever in Canadian history at that time, 1989. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police were out there looking through the woods for him with dogs. Alan Leger grew up in New Brunswick in Canada, and this is like a heavily forested East Coast area, very rural, very working class, isolated. And he was in a kind of isolated part of New Brunswick, small towns in the Miramichi region. And from what I can gather, he was just what we'd call an embryo psychopath. Some people are just born evil, man. You know, that's, are there things that went wrong in his life? Yes. Are they also things that have gone wrong in other people's lives? Yes. Did they turn out to be serial killers? No. So from a young age, this guy just seems like he's a little devil. You know, he's known for like throwing rocks at people and then just pretending he hasn't. It's always been that way. And he's like sort of, you know, one of just a few psychos in this small cluster of communities. And as he gets older, he gets into crime and more and more erratic behavior, uh, violence, robbery, property crimes. At one point, I remember he walked into the church on Sunday, and this is probably a fairly religious community. Not that this would be okay in any community, but he just walks into the church. I think it was either naked or in a pair of little shorts. I think it was little shorts. And he walks in and he just starts like screaming about the devil in the middle of church. Right now, right there, you can see somebody who's looking for a reaction and a negative reaction from people in this small community. So they were terrified of him. And in 1986, sorry, what, what yeah, part was terrifying? Was he pro devil or was he saying the devil sucks? <laughs> no, it was definitely pro devil oh, okay. stuff. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. Sometimes that isn't quite as scary, I think, as they want it to be. Like, you know, the Richard Ramirez, Bill and Ted Satanism. Like, yeah, man, Satan rules. Listen to Judas Priest and Billy Idol. Like, so I have no idea how <laughs> yeah, how intense it was. But that's just to give you an example of the kind of person that's building up in their community. In 1986, he plans a home invasion robbery with two younger people men. So I think he might have been around 30, 30 at this time. So, you know, 30 years of crime and, and, you know, antisocial behavior. And he got these other two younger men to go in on it. They break into the house of this old couple. And the idea is they've got money there. We're going to rob them. And it turns into brutal beatings. The old woman is sexually assaulted. They sort of torture the old man not extensively but let's just say they don't make it a quick death for him it's brutal and at this point it gets traced back and 
Leger's cough for that. The old man dies. The old woman lives, but with obviously terrible injuries, you know, largely stemming from being knocked unconscious and, and a sexual assault. Brutal one. And so Leger goes into prison in New Brunswick. And I guess the people of Miramichi breathe a sigh of relief. Well, then in 1989, Leger's having... Uh, issues and he needs a trip to the hospital so they need to transport him out of his cell see where this is going well they get yeah you you skip past the part where he peed in his own ear i believe to give himself that ear infection right i didn't even know that oh that's how he got the ear infection that is yeah okay that's crazy yeah so as you can see very devious very cunning individual and is not afraid to hurt himself in many ways you know true psychopath this dude so by the time they get to the hospital, he's like, I need to go to the bathroom. And the guards are like, okay, well, whatever. He's in shackles. Like, we're not going to go on the go in the booth and watch him shit, I guess. It's their logic. So he, he, there's no way he can get out. He goes into the little stall, locks the door. He's then got lockpicks in the form of matchsticks. He sticks them into the locks, unlocks his handcuffs. He is then has a television antenna, which he has sharpened and folded. It's been up his ass since prison. Pulls it out, extends it. Now he has a wand of slashing that he can just mess people up with. Bursts out to start attacking these prison guards. They're trying to get it under control. Next thing, he's in the parking lot, grabs a woman and takes her car and he's off. And I believe it was at least five months of them looking for him. But this is how crazy this guy is. He doesn't just go missing for five months or tries to get to another part of the country. He stays in the, he goes back to the Miramichi area where he grew up. Just like Michael Myers. Yeah, it is exactly. He starts killing again. Yeah. It's exactly like Michael Myers. I've never thought of that, but just rather, rather than suburban, think of rural right? Rural Michael Myers. So a bit of Jason in there too. He's very powerfully built man too, very muscular. And he would emerge every so often from wherever he was hiding. And he would do these home invasions where he would, often they were against people who are middle-aged or older, and he would uh, beat them to death most of the time, brutally, you know, blood all over the walls sort of deal. And if they were females, he would rape them no matter what age, and then he would set their house on fire. The The last killing, he, he killed five people in total, if I recall, and the last one was of a reverend at a local church, and his congregation had showed up for service, and he wasn't arriving. And so they said, okay, we know this, guys. Something bad's happened here. They go into his little house attached to the church, and he has been beaten to death by Alan Leger. And it's happened so brutally once again that the, there's blood dripping from the ceiling, to give you an example. What gets Alan Leger eventually is winter. You cannot defeat the Canadian winter. And at the point where it just starts getting too cold, he has to emerge and he has to get somewhere inside. So he hijacks a car and he tells the driver to drive to this airport. And then he says, then I'm going to hijack a plane from this airport and fly to Iran. 
New Brunswick is a very small province. There are no international airports, like important airports in New Brunswick. But this guy's in a car with a very violent, desperate Alan Leger. And he doesn't want to tell Alan Leger that, look, man, this isn't going to work. They, they don't have planes that go to Iran. They don't have planes that have the capacity of going to Iran. <laughs> so he's in a very much a catch-22 situation. But he's just like, yep, yeah, take my car. Just don't kill me. Do whatever you want. And at this point, I think Leger is just so desperate. He gets caught the same night. There's a standoff with police, and uh, he's brought back into custody. And I, it seems that ever since, they've taken him a bit more seriously as a prison escape risk. But yeah, yeah. the monster of Miramichi, that would have been actually, man, I missed the anniversary. I should have done, done a 30th anniversary episode on him this year 1989 <laughs> uh, well i mean you could do an anniversary of his uh of his conviction in november right he was convicted sure. in november of 91 right yeah but i've got like zodiac did you notice uh, this year there was all these anniversaries i don't know like years that end with nine or something seemed to produce a lot of interesting murders yeah. i'm trying to get Z zodiac manson um who was the other one that i'm thinking of oh in the uk you had bible john huh. so yeah I, th I think I'm I'm not going to hit all my anniversaries, unfortunately. <laughs> is is there anything we can learn from Alan Legier? Uh yeah, don't ever let your guard down around someone like that. And actually, this is a great segue into another case. Can I please? Use that? please. Sure. Okay. I just want to make a note that the guy's still alive. Still Alan, alive. Alan last Legier. time I checked, I think yeah. he must be in the seventies now. Yeah. 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 So. We have another killer from the east coast of Canada, and this goes to the, you know, maybe you should know the psychology and capacities of your murderers better than you do. This guy is called the homicidal drifter, Michael McGray. He was kind of our Tommy Lynn Sells. You guys know who Tommy Lynn Sells is? Oh, no. No. Uh, enlighten okay. us. Well, he's, uh, uh, he's an American who drifted across the United States committing crimes, I think, from the 70s to about 1999 when he was caught and probably killed more than 50 people. And, you know, men, <clears throat> women, children, nobody was safe with that. So we actually had our version of that, and that was Michael McGray. Same type of deal. I mean, some of his crimes against females were sex crimes, but he didn't just kill females. He shot his own best friend in a city during a bungled taxi robbery. Then on another occasion, he was with some friends and they picked up a girl who was hitchhiking and they abducted her. He raped her and then killed her. Then he went to Montreal. This is interesting because it makes me ask questions about whether this is a hate crime or it's like a... Uh, a sex crime, it's hard to say, but he would go to gay bars in Montreal and he would go home with these middle-aged gay guys and then apparently never slept with them, but slept on their couch or he's not telling us something, right? And he would just at one point just beat them brutally to death and, and rob them. And he killed at least two guys that way. And he was finally caught in New Brunswick when he went to the apartment of a single mother and her daughter who 
was around the age of 12, I believe. And for basically just the thrill of killing them, he slit this woman's throat and she just bled out in the middle of her apartment, just dying on the floor. And then I think he, he hanged her daughter up in the closet. And anyways, he was identified and taken into custody. And he said, okay, well, you've got me for those ones. I've actually killed 16 people minimum all across Canada. (laughs) So this is the deal he tries to offer. He says, I'll tell you about the other ones if you guys let me out of prison and allow me to go to treatment. So that's how detached from reality he is. <laughs> did, they, did they just say yes, and then, and then he spilled the beans? No, they said no, A, right? That's <laughs> the way they handled that. So I get it. We still don't know exactly about those other murders, but I absolutely believe him. He said he had killed also on the West Coast in Vancouver and in Toronto. This guy tried to shank his own lawyer, and I don't believe oh. it was because his lawyer was pissing him off. It was just another opportunity to kill. So he states explicitly, he says, I just love to kill it. It's he didn't make it sound sexual. It was just like it just unburdens him of all the stress. It's just this wonderful feeling. And so he was addicted to killing. Be warned, I'm addicted to killing. And so I was always aware that this guy is probably the most dangerous person in Canada. Okay, well, what do they do? They forget about him because the criminal justice system here, like in many places, is bureaucratic and it doesn't function very well at all. And by the time I'm writing my book, Cold North Killers, I'm getting to the end of it. I finished the McGray case a long time ago. And at this point, I read a news article and it says, man murdered in Canadian prison by homicidal drifter. And I'm like, what, Michael McGray, the guy who I just finished writing the story on, who is the most dangerous man in Canada, probably. He had a cellmate. What are you talking about? And yeah, that's how bad they messed up. They put this guy who was doing time for, you know, kind of a more, a much smaller offense into a cell with Michael McGray. And he even went to the, the uh, I don't know if it was the warden, but the prison staff. He's like, look, man, this guy's crazy. He's going to fucking kill me. So can you, you guys just pump me with anyone else? Like, I, I'm just not in with him. They're like, nah, 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 you can just stay there with him. So I don't have no idea why they had a cat scratch post in there. Maybe they had like some kitten therapy they were trying out. Michael McGray smashes this guy's head in with a a cat scratch post, and then he takes the sheets from the bed, strangles them to finish him off with a ligature, flushes the sheets down the toilet, and then just waits. And they obviously find out who did it, and he's like, yeah, I got to 17 now. Oh, my God. Do you think that that was intentional? Do you think that, you know, for whatever reason, they just wanted to see something happen between two, like, horrible people? I think that that would be an awful thing, and though that's a possibility, that's the sort of thing that I just wouldn't want to comment on without some sort of evidence. Because, you know, I I have a rule, don't attribute to evil what you can attribute to stupidity. So let's I like be, that. Yeah, I heard yeah. that recently, too. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the time it's true. Most people are just ignorant, you know, and 
that's kind of reminding me of something that we were talking about before. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I I totally disagree with that. I think you should proceed with reckless abandon <laughs> in your yeah. speculation on everything uh, crime related. <laughs> Just and go. Also, yeah, that's how we, we got where we are. We should Lee. attribute things to to evil more than stupidity, right? So like. Hey, what's this, Jimmy? You failed your calculus test, spawn of the devil child, right? <laughs> right. Cut off his left hand, send him to a nunnery or something like that. I don't know. Right. I think I think that would make for a better society. So, yeah, we're done with that quote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, a, anyone who's late for, for a phone call, like, they're, they, they don't like us anymore. Not they got hung up a minute or two. No, they're... They're, they're dead to us now. Yeah, they yeah. obviously they obviously have had deep seated issues from childhood. It's so disrespectful. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean to not be on time for a phone call. <laughs> you must be doing something nefarious, right? right like right. You're, you're probably sacrificing children in a dungeon <laughs> and you've miscalculated the time it would take to clean up all the blood, and that's why you're late. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly it wasn't it. like uh traffic was heavy or something. <laughs> and every minute that goes by we just sit on the other line and we, we just think to ourselves, well, there's some more cleaning that he's doing. There's some more, you know, disposing of the body. Looks like he needed to pick up another roll of paper towels for some this Some more one. industrial trash bags. Some more 409. And pleasuring yourself, right? Pleasuring yourself thinking of the pain of the person on the other end of the phone call. That's actually why we just killed the uh, video part of the Skype call. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> Okay. okay. Well, I'm open-minded. I've, I've <laughs> met some weird people, so it's okay, guys. None weirder than us. So uh, what about pig farmer Robert Picton? Can you tell Robert us a little bit Picton about him? Robert Picton had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> <laughs> I won't sing farm, the rest had of the some song. Ears. Awful. Um, yeah, so Robert Picton is the most prolific sexual serial killer in Canadian history. He, it's hard to know when he started killing because I'll kind of begin at the end with this. They ended up finding the DNA of 31 missing women on his farm. Whoa. He said that he killed 49 to a prison inmate who was like an undercover cop. And they had charged him with 26 originally. So... I think we could say high is probably 49, but at least 31, but 26 that they could charge him with. And they eventually reduced it to just six charges. I think they did that for time and money reasons. But it was a big outcry because many of his victims were sex workers, and a lot of them were from indigenous backgrounds. And so it kind of became, a well, if they were middle class white women, you would have prosecuted him for all of them type situation. And I don't know, I think if I were their family members, I would want to see him stand trial for, for that. So I understand. Sure. Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's a practical side to things and he is in jail for the rest of his life. But yeah. So in Vancouver, which is, you know, the, the kind of the West coast city of Canada, it's our Seattle, but in Canadian terms, it's like the third largest city. In Vancouver, there is an infamous stroll for people who are addicted to all kinds of drugs, but specifically heroin, a lot of it coming from East Asia. And 
it's at the corner of Maine and Hastings, and they call it pain and wasting. I've actually been in this area, and yeah, it's pretty awful. It's like, um, actually, from what I hear, a lot of West Coast cities now, but we were doing it first, just junkies strewn all over the place, um, you know, desperate people prostituting themselves, unsanitary conditions, and it was just sort of allowed to be that way. And I think to this day still is, though they're doing work with needle out, um, clean needle exchanges and such and outreach programs. But it's a pretty it's a pretty hellish area. And Picton would find females who are prostituting themselves in this area and he would get them out to his farm. Sometimes he would drive into Vancouver. Sometimes I think they just found their way out there. And there's always this speculation that he might have been working with other people. And it's not an unfounded speculation, but that's all I'm going to go into with it. And once they were out there, he would kill them. Now, we don't know how he killed them all, but I can give you, I'll, I'll give you a few possibilities. They did find the skulls of some of the victims on his property, and they had bullet holes in their heads. So he clearly shot some of them. But he had also talked to, I think it was either a friend or someone who was working on his property about how he could kill people by injecting windshield wiper fluid into their veins. And on another occasion, he talked about killing a woman while having sex with her doggy style and then strangling her from behind. But forensically all we see are bullet holes in a couple skulls and the interesting thing about those skulls is they were found in a freezer and he had bisected the skulls using a saw and then taken the the hands and placed them inside the skulls and then rejoined the skulls so the skulls were almost like a kinder surprise with the victim's hands inside what? how weird is that what I, that's what that's what i'm saying i can't figure this dude out because he won't really talk. They won't really let him talk. And it's hard to know, like, what was his deal? But w we do know this. There was one person who was living on his property. He had a lot of kind of low-life people around that would cling on to him. And he would let them live on the property in exchange for uh, chores, probably just to have someone as a friend because Robert Picton had no social skills, low IQ. He he stank really badly, of course. I mean, he's on a pig farm, but he was also pathologically afraid of water. So he'd sort of allow people to live on his property, I think largely just to have someone to speak with. And one of them woke up in the middle of the night one night, and they could hear sounds coming from the barn. And they went, they walked over to the barn, and they glimpsed inside. And according to this person, Robert Picton has the body of a dead woman hanging upside down. It might have been from a hook, and he's, like, cutting it. He's sawing into it. Hmm. And he turn, turns around, and he looks at this person, and she never says anything until he's convicted. Wasn't he, a, like, a millionaire as well? Didn't he make a lot of money from... What did he make a lot of money from? Well, this is an interesting part of his background, actually. It's that, yes, they had this large farm, family farm, the Picton Farm in Port, uh, I always say it wrong, but let's say Coquitlam, 
Port Coquitlam, BC. And it was sort of one of the last farms around. A lot of the area had been bought up and turned into residential buildings. And so the property was worth a lot of money. And when his mother and father died, they left the farm and their inheritance to their three kids. One was Robert Picton. One was his brother, David Picton, who has an interesting story himself. He was involved in Hell's Angels and a hit and run accident resulting in a death and a sexual assault. Okay. So this is a rabbit hole case. And then also their sister and David and the sister both received their inheritances, but Roberts was delayed. It was almost like his parents, he had this very domineering mother and it was almost like even after death, they were saying, you're not good enough. You have to wait for your portion of the inheritance. And this could have been, could have been one of the things that triggered all these dark, violent fantasies, you know, like that, that, that must have stung pretty bad for a guy who already had pretty awful self-esteem. But yes, as a family, they were a millionaire family. That doesn't mean that they lived like upper or upper, upper middle class people. They were very working class. At least the brothers were. And is there a movie about this? I feel like I've seen something about picked in in some movie form or. Yeah, I think they did a few documentaries about it, but they have never really realized the storytelling potential of this case. And I think it's because there's so much we just don't know about what he did. You know, like what motivated him? Did he torture these girls? Was it just kill them quick and mutilate the bodies? How many did he really kill? Uh, But I think what's important is there was a criminologist So uh, sort of I have a kinship, obviously, with criminologists who was working for the Vancouver Police Department and going above and beyond and getting his doctorate in criminology at the time. And he was studying geographic profiling. He was making a geographic profiling system that's feeding basically points of data related to geography. So where crimes have happened into a software program that is based upon predation patterns of lions and other wild cats, I think, and seeing, you know, do we have a serial killer here? It's a whole area of criminology that's fascinating. So this Vancouver Police Department officer was going above and beyond to get educated and creating revolutionary revolutionary software. And he was looking at all these disappearances they had happening in the low track area of Vancouver, where Maine and Hastings are. And he comes to his superiors and says, look, guys, we've got a serial killer. Like these aren't sex workers who are just all disappearing because they're sex workers and they don't keep in touch with people and they just hop on a bus and go to other cities. Like this is a serial killer. And for his efforts, the upper echelons and and administrative class of the Vancouver Police Department demoted him. They kicked him down in rank. So he went, you know what? Fuck this. He left. He became a professor in Texas. I think it's at University of Texas, where right now he is one of the most esteemed professors of criminology in the world. His program he made, Rigel, is used widely all over the globe. It's considered to be one of the best geographic profiling systems. And shortly after he left the Vancouver Police Department, he was proved right when the crimes of Robert Picton came to light. So there's so many dimensions and 
angles to tell this story from, yet there's so much we still don't know. Man, it sounds like this guy needs a deep dive by Dr. Lee Meller. Yeah, I could actually probably do just a Pigton podcast if I was honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I, could you go out to the pig farm? Does that still exist? I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. I think that it's probably been all sold off now and commercially developed. I Unless the, unless the province or the state or something has bought it or is protecting it in case future forensic evidence arises, but that would be far too responsible for them. So no, I'm guessing it's now a suburb. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like something I would love to hear, you know, you do a few episodes on. Yeah. Did, do you know if he uh, fed any of the victims to his pigs? He did indeed. He did. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm saying about this case. Like you would think that I would immediately start with that, but there's just so many huge aspects to it that I completely forgot to mention that. Yeah. So he, did the old brick top thing from snatch, but he did it first. You've always heard the saying, be wary of a man with a pig farm. Well, case in point, Picton would feed the remains of his victims to his pigs and pigs will eat through bone. They'll eat through flesh. They'll eat everything. A pig is called, <laughs> that's funny. I was about to say a pig is called a pig for a reason, but that's obviously not quite right. <laughs> we call people that eat, uh, gluttonously pigs for a reason, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how he got rid of most of his victims. And I believe they might have found just like little things like maybe pacemakers or medical alert bracelets, teeth maybe. Eventually, they might have found some of that in the pig feces, if Jeez. I recall correctly. But this is where it gets really gross, is he would then slaughter these pigs and turn them into pork products. And then he would give these pork products away or sell them to his neighbors and the people in the community. And so they're thinking, oh, my God, these pigs have eaten sex workers who are addicted to drugs, and they likely have all kinds of STIs, you know, hepatitis, potentially HIV, AIDS, can we get that by eating the pig now? And it got to the point where the health minister of the province of British Columbia had to issue a statement saying, if you ate Robert Picton's pork products, don't worry, you can't get AIDS, hepatitis, or anything like that. Yikes. Imagine putting that PSA together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a good way to do that, but... Probably, you probably don't want to go for endearing and warm. You probably just want to be pretty direct. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Don't try to don't try to sugarcoat <laughs> this <laughs> this right. horrific uh, thing. Well, geez, Doctor Lee, you've come on here. You've you've knocked our hair back again. We've learned a lot. We've talked killers. We've talked VR. You're on the Crawl Space Network. W what else is there? Well, I have one question uh, for that beard. Do you prefer, is it pronounced jojoba oil, or do you prefer argan oil? The only oil that goes in my beard, man, oozes out of a piece of meat when I bite into it like fucking Conan. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> no, I don't use beard care products. It's surprising, because you have uh, you got a nice uh, 
Nice, nice. Uh, uh, it's a nice Canadian beard. Yeah, Canadian spice beard. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's been good to me. The beard. It uh, helps hide my baby face. <laughs> Before we uh, we say goodbye, fellas. Yeah. I just want to point out that I'm sure you've heard of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka. No. Yes. So one of you has. No, I'm lying. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So we were not going to have time to get into this, but they are by far the most detested serial killers in Canada. And let's just say abducting high school girls, subjecting them to repeated acts of painful, degrading sexual assault, videotaping it, and then strangling them and dumping their bodies. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So I have an episode of Murder Was the Case called Paul and Carla Sex to Death and Videotape. It's uh, just under an hour long, and it just talks about the case. It's not an interview. It was just my desire to tell that story, which I know a lot about. And I would say if people want to try something out else out on murder was the case besides the conversational format or they get through all the academies that is one that if you go to that particular episode paul and carla sex death and videotape i know people who are who have just been unable to get through it and that wasn't me trying to be shocking i just simply stated what happened you'll see why despite the fact that they only have three murder victims compared to Picton's potential of 49 that really they're still more hated by the Canadian public to this day. They are our kind of Ted Bundy, so to speak. Ah, but were they handsome? Very much so. Oh, oh well then they definitely are your Ted Bundy. You know what their names were? They were called the Ken and Barbie killers because oh. they literally looked like Ken and Barbie. Wow. Oh man. Well, We'll uh, make sure to listen to that one, and uh, any of our audience who wants to hear that one, check that out on Murder Was the Case, Dr. Lee's podcast. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me on the network, guys. I just want to say, you know, you've got a terrific, what did you call them, steed? <laughs> the steed. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back to roster, I think. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where steed came I think from. That, I don't know. I like it, though. Maybe we can move this into the popular dialect where <laughs> people start a group of a collective is now a steed, like uh, my trusty steed. Right? Galloping, but, galloping uh, yeah. into the sunset. <laughs> the steed network. The steed. Yeah. We're gonna... Yeah, but I, I mean, you've got a criminal perspective. I've done two things with Chris Duet and uh, now. And yeah, such a great guy, as is his co-host. Andrew Dodge, and, yeah. Great Andrew guys. Dodge, yeah. Fantastic podcasts i talk about creating new content like it's just completely unlike any other podcast hey do you want to hear us speak with murderers instead of just speak about them right yeah so that's incredible the incel project i've only started to dip my toe into that but what a fascinating idea and then la not so confidential i've actually been in touch with um dr shiloh from that show and she's reading some of my academic work and we were supposed to meet up in New Jersey to talk about. Oh my gosh. Well, you could still meet up in New Jersey. 
We could, yeah. But... <laughs> or, or you could just not go to New Jersey. Yeah, may- maybe when uh, Crawl Space puts on its own uh, festival at some point, um, with you know, independently, not not with any um, pig ear partners. But I like where you're going with this, uh, you know, this steed that we're talking about. There's many different things you could take from it. A, pe- a lot of people will ask us why would someone join the crawlspace network and you know the first thing people say is do you guys like how do they make money and it the money isn't really the thing it's more like the growing of the of the uh community it's about having peer to peer interaction and and like you said you you're talking with Dr. Shiloh and she's reading some of your papers i'm sure you're going to um read something from her uh you're getting a lot out of the incel project and you're getting a lot out of uh, criminal perspective and it's sort of just contributing to one another's uh mutual industry passions and it's uh uh to use the 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 classic cliche the you know the ship rises with with the tide if that's what it is i can't remember the grass always grows the grass is grows grows it's like a steed <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, enough of this Steve stuff. It's yeah. me. Um, I I like to think of it too as you. First of all, you guys are working with me to help me make more money. So you know that it, it's there is that incentive there as well. You know, and you're good in that respects. But also, I think you're very open minded. Maybe now that the festival is no longer on the table. We can talk about doing some of the things that we didn't think we had time for. Yeah, absolutely. Would love that. Right. Like uh, I think I'd propose an online Halloween event. Maybe we'll see. I'll be with uh, Uncle Cloyd. I think that is Halloween. something that is definitely something we should uh, explore. That without is a doubt. That's definitely something that's on the table. I don't know. We might have plans. We might be at the Martini and Murder uh, Wilbur show. But uh, yeah, let's ah. circle back with that. Yeah, exactly. And beyond that, I think that right now the Crawl Space brand is almost like a, a seal of approval. You know, we don't just put this on any product. And I like that too. Everything that I've looked at that has Crawl Space attached to it has been entertaining and informative and original. Those three things. Well, thank you so well, much. Well, you know yeah, what? I really appreciate it. I want to put the Crawl Space uh, logo smack dab in the center of your full beard. <laughs> and that's going to be the crawl, could, crawl space beard. Or you could just send me a T-shirt, guys. You know, like no, no. I want to, <laughs> I want to trademark your beard. 